The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We have been in a series this summer that I don't know um, how many of them you've been a part of. My encouragement to you would be to pull up many of the podcasts. We thought it would be like a six-week series. We wanted to uh, tell the story and celebrate the voices of some women that maybe you hadn't heard from in church history, in the church today. And what's happened is that the list just kept growing because there's so many amazing women that we just didn't even know. And so it went from like a six-week to like an 82-week series or something that's going to like postponed through the next few summers because we just can't get everybody on the list. And somehow through the luck of the draw today, I was blessed uh, to draw the stick of getting to share uh, some wisdom from a beloved sister who's a Houstonian. She is uh, a researcher at the University of Houston on shame and vulnerability. And now almost all of you know who she is. She is Brene Brown. And so our sister Brene has taught many of us so much about how to live a great life. I'm gonna share with you just a few of the things that I have learned from Brene, and that I hope that together as a church we would learn. I'm not gonna get much into her work on shame because this fall we're gonna do a series on the body. It's a series that Sean and I are really excited about and yet that I would ask you to start to pray for because many of us have uh, a challenging relationship with our bodies. Is that safe to say for many of us that, um, that it's challenging? And What you need to know is that God and the Bible and the Christian view of the body has a lot to offer you that will truly be a gift, uh, but it's gonna take some willingness to listen. And we're gonna deal with the work, her work and many others' work on shame at that point. And so today, we're gonna talk about a little different part of it. If I could summarize overall what Brene's taught us, it means that if you're going to love, right, then you're gonna be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. And if you are going to live a life of love, and that's what we believe around here, like that's the life worth living, you're going to get hurt. And part of the journey of loving means that at times we're going to lose people. People that you love are going to get sick. People that you love, these little beings that God gives to you, you're going to do your best with them. And They're going to hurt you, and sometimes eventually they're going to leave you, and you don't know quite what to do with it. And part of doing all of this means the more we love, the more we're going to experience some hurt and some pain. Brene says, she says, vulnerability sounds like truth, and it feels like courage. We know it's the right thing, and yet every time we choose to love, right, to be the one, maybe it's in a relationship that says, I love you first, right? That's like the riskiest thing ever. Brene tells the story in this recent Netflix special that she did of some kid listening to her and saying, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna tell her I love her. And he takes her to this great dinner and he tells her, I love you. And she says, thanks, no thanks, right? And he's crushed and yet at the same time, right, he risked. And for those of us, even with kids, right? How many of his parents, like over and over, you get to I love you, And they go, yeah, (laughs) yeah, Uh uh-huh. And then then you hit a day. I had one this week. It was almost like God knew I'd be preaching this sermon where the kid that's least likely to say I love you says it first, right? And you go, oh, all that pain, right? All that struggle, like it's worth it. 
It's worth it. Because we continue just to say, I'm going to put my heart out there. And sometimes it's not going to feel so good. But the only other way to live is to not put our heart out there. We have to live like this in the public square. The reality is you either choose to be moved and to be hurt by the reports of what we hear in the Ukraine, or you choose to let your heart grow hard and callous. And the news just becomes the news. And you're no longer moved. You're no longer hurt. And Bernays invited us to experience hurt because it's worth it to truly love. Now, this is what you need to know. Brene, whether she knew it or not, her best research and the most profound truths come from our Lord and Savior. And so the first point I want to share with you, it's Brene's, but it's really Jesus. You hear a lot about a right to bear arms, right? And um, you have a right to arms, but it's a different kind of arms. In Luke 10, we get this amazing story. Jesus has gathered his people. He's gathered a bunch of them, not just the 12 disciples, but some others. And in fact, they'd been doing what my kids described to me at every job they start, right? Where you start a job and you end up shadowing somebody for however long until they figure out maybe they think you can do it, right? And you, you go through this process and then eventually they go, hey, today's your day. You're on your own. And in Luke 10, that's what happens. In Luke 10, it said the Lord recruited and deployed 70 more disciples. He sent them ahead in teams of two to visit the towns and the settlements between them and Jerusalem. And this is what he ordered, right? He's been with them all this time. He's teaching them. He's walking with them. He's being an example to them. And then the day comes, he's like, you're going. I'm sending you out. So you got to realize that when Jesus is gathered with you and he's taught you and he's done all this and he's finally sending you out to do it on your own, what he sends you out to do is probably really important. And this is what Jesus says. He says, there's a great harvest waiting in the fields, but there aren't many good workers to harvest it. Pray that the harvest master will send out good workers to the fields. Now, some of you cringe when you hear that voice of you, that verse of you grew up in the church, because that verse was usually used to tell you now it was time to get as many tracks as you could in your pants and go out and give them to people and ask them to repeat things about God. And then you could declare them saved. Anybody else go to a church like that? And you, and the harvest was about like only two of us or none of you are ever going to answer me at 11. Do we have coffee here or not? Did we not? <laughs> Did we not serve any coffee today? And when I grew up, that was the harvest. It was go get people to become Christians and the way that we define becoming Christians. But what Jesus actually sent them out to do, like there were no tracks. It was actually the opposite. There was actually nothing like that. So he says, hey, here it is. It's time to go. Verse three, I'm sending you out. And then he says, I'm sending you out armed, right? So if you're going out on a trip, you're gonna have protection with you, right? Somebody asked me recently, we had a, a guy that we'd, that, anyway, long story, but downtown, lives on the street, struggling, and he, um, he got a little activated when he saw me the other day, right? And, uh, and so one of the guys in the church said, you probably pack for times like that, right? I'm like, no, it's not good for the pastor to kill somebody. Like, it's just not, it just doesn't go good. It doesn't help the ministry. It's not really like, it's just not the thing, right? And it's just not what you do. And so I, I'm not, but Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna arm you. And at that point, you're thinking like a sword, 
Jesus says you're armed with vulnerability. He says literally, you're like lambs walking into a pack of wolves. I've told you before, Ecclesia, this is the worst pep talk ever given in human history. Jesus is like, you're on a mission, you're gonna get crushed. You're on a mission, it's gonna hurt. What's he saying? He's saying, when you go love people, some of them are gonna hurt you. It's just guaranteed. I'm inviting you to go to Mexico City, you know why? Not just because the tacos are amazing, but I will tell you it will be the best taco you've ever had in your life. But don't go for the tacos. And don't go because you're gonna learn something. And don't go because you're needed there. But you ought to go because when you sit with a girl that's been rescued from sex trafficking and she's concerned about you and she prays for you, it'll change your life forever. You'll never be the same. You'll come back and be like, what was I doing with my life before that? That's why I invite you to go, because it hurts. Because this girl says, my mother sold me, and yet I'm here loving and caring for you, and you think like, I (laughs) have everything. And apparently, I don't quite have that heart yet. And it does something for us. Then he says this, he says, don't bring a wallet, don't carry a backpack. What's he saying? For some of us, this is the hardest part. He's saying, not only are you gonna get hurt, but guess what? You're not gonna get to buy yourself out of this one. Most of us are like, oh, I hurt, but you know what? I'm one pizza away from feeling a little bit better. I am one carton of Bluebell away from a little bit of peace, right? Or I can go shopping, and if I can go shopping, I can feel good for a little while. I mean. I may be hurting, but I look so great in this suit. I don't really look good in any suits. But something, right? Jesus says, don't bring your wallet, don't carry your backpack. Things aren't gonna get you through this. Then he says, I don't even want you to wear sandals. Like what? He says, you're going on a trip, but you're gonna go barefoot. I don't know about you, but even when I walk to the pool in my building barefoot, I end up stepping on something, right? I remember like flip-flops help. And he said, I'm, I want you to go, you're going to walk slow, you're going to be careful, you're going to feel pain. And he says, I want you to walk along barefoot quietly without stopping for small talk. And then he sends them on and he tells them, I want you to plant yourself with people, eat meals with them, dig in deep, make family and community. He doesn't say, you know, have them recite a track. He says, go be a part of the community and family and declare the kingdom of God, this place where everyone has enough, where God is up to something beautiful and good. And we're reminded in that, that if we're a part of something beautiful and good, we will experience pain because that's part of loving. Secondly, one of the things Brene has taught me is to focus on your people. You have people, and if you don't, you can develop more people. You can go to Mexico City, you'll get more people. You join a small group, you get more people, but not the haters. Everybody's got somebody on work, there's somebody online, there's somebody that just doesn't like you. It's okay, they'll be okay. Some of them don't like anybody. And that's okay, I, it's, it's, uh, it's the best quote in her book and even though kids may not know how to process it, this is, this is the way she says it, right? She says, don't try to win over the haters. You're not the jackass whisperer, right? 
Like, you're just not. Like, who could do that, right? He said, it's, she said, it's impossible. So care what your people say. Proverbs tells us this. Proverbs 27 says, the wounds inflicted by the correction of a friend prove that he or she is faithful. Right? If you've got a friend that tells you, hey, you're never on time, like never, then you ought to listen to them. They're telling you something. If you've got a friend that says, hey, when I try to talk to you, you're on your phone. Like, could I get you? If you've got a friend that says, hey, like, if you want to keep this job, you've got to do your work. Right? You ought to say, like, okay, I need, I need, they love you. But you ought to let people earn the right to be invested in your life to give you that feedback. And listen to the people that truly truly love you. Thirdly, I learned from Brene that stoicism and hard-heartedness are the enemy of a vibrant faith, or I think she would say a vibrant life or a wholehearted life. The only other choice between allowing yourself to be vulnerable and be hurt is to build up armor and to let that armor protect you. And for some of us, You've had to do that with certain people or certain people that you just go, I can't let them in, right? And that's okay, that's part of your journey. But overall, we don't want to be these people that become so hard-hearted that we don't feel the pain of the world. The Bible talks a lot about hard-heartedness and it's literally, it's the worst thing you can have. It's the opposite of faith. We want our hearts to be soft. In Romans 2 it says, but because your heart is obstinate and shameless, you're storing up wrath that will count against you. On the other hand, in Proverbs, it says this. It says, above all else, watch over your heart. Diligently guard it, because from a sincere and a pure heart come the good and the noble things of life. Hopefully you see it, at least in our kids, that when they speak from a place of purity, anybody watch that sweet kid this week? that talked about corn and how great corn is. <laughs> I didn't pull up the video. I didn't, I didn't have you pull up the video. I should have had. He's just like, corn is so good. And you're just like, you know what it is? It is so good. And then he's like, and then they put butter on corn and it changed everything for me. You're like, yes, it does, right? What does it look like to keep our hearts soft and to be in awe of everything we see? To go to the mu museums and be like, someone painted that. Like, can you believe it? To soak in a sunset and be like, God is so amazing. How did he do that, right? How? To go to our taps and get clean water and realize like, we brush our teeth with it, we drink, like the word, it's magic. It comes into our house. Nobody lived that way before. That, that these simple things we'd be in awe of and we'd appreciate. When we become hard-hearted, we're like, everybody's got clean water, right? It's just, that's the thing. We don't even appreciate the blessings that come. You have a toilet. You don't dig a hole every time you have to go number two. That's huge, right? That's huge. These simple things that we live with just, like we get in a vehicle that, most of the time, if you don't hit a pothole, it takes you where you want to go, right? Like, it's amazing. 
And then when it doesn't, you go like, well, I mean, it's gonna fail every now and then, right? And then literally I get on my phone and there's an Uber there in four minutes. Like what kind of crazy life do I live, right? Like I ought to live in awe of it and you ought to as well. It's part of having a soft heart. Then fourthly, and for some of you, this is the reason you came to church today. I'm just gonna tell you, maybe not all of you, but this is the reason you came to church. So what I've learned from Brene Brown is very clearly this, you're not perfect and no one could handle you if you were. Perfectionism will crush your life and your soul. And some of you, wherever you got it from, whatever voice is in your head, no matter what you do, you think it's not enough. You think everything is being graded. You think you were supposed to perform at this level, and then when you don't, you just beat yourself up. Brene says perfectionism is a defense move. It's the belief that if we do things perfectly and look perfect, we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. If I just perform, there's nothing to criticize, right? There's no place to fail. And yet failure is just a part of how we live and who we are. There's this great story in the Bible in Luke 10. It's a story about these two sisters. Anybody remember them? Mary and Martha, right? They're these two sisters. And they just see and experience the whole world really differently. The challenge was one of them was a perfectionist. And she thought, if you have something big happen, like Jesus comes to your house. She thought if Jesus is coming to your house, everything needs to be perfect. The house needs to look perfect. The meal needs to be perfect. It needs to come out on time, everything. She thought when Jesus shows up, he was there to grade her. Anybody else think subconsciously? When Jesus comes, like I'm getting graded. He's gonna evaluate my performance. And just so you know, all this ended up in the Bible so that you wouldn't mess it up and I wouldn't mess it up. Mary, on the other hand, was like, Jesus showed up because he freaking loves me. Mary's like, Jesus showed up to sit with me. Jesus showed up, not because he thought I had the best couch in the best living room, but because I was in the living room. And Mary just sat with Jesus, and Jesus was like, she got it. Wasn't coming to judge, wasn't coming to evaluate. Let's just decide right now that if it was all about performance, we'd all fail. Could we just agree? Like, we'd all fail if it's all about performance. But if it's about relationship, we all have a chance to succeed. If we just say, I'm gonna love Jesus and love the people around me, and none of us are gonna do it perfectly, but there's no grade for that. It's just, you just say, that's how I'm gonna live, and that's how I'm gonna do it. Brene says it this way, and I think this is Mary's point of view, right? She's, she says, I'm not perfect, and I'm not always right, but I'm here in the living room with Jesus, right? I'm open, paying attention, loving you, and fully engaged. Could we all just agree that's a better way to live than beating ourselves up and trying to think like we're supposed to outperform the next? I hope we could. And then lastly, and this is one that I think is, uh, is just so key. The generous communities, people of faith that get together and serve and love together, find true faith. 
I'll tell you what I love about our church. People can tell you all day, like, I love the coffee or I like the building. I like the fact the chairs aren't all the same because my booty's bigger than his and they, we, I sit in this chair, whatever you like, right? I'll tell you what I love about this church. I love that you have an opportunity every day of the week, nonstop, and many times on trips like what we're gonna do in Mexico City to love people in a way that will radically change you. Now, you just come up here. You come up on a Wednesday when Moving Waters is here doing showers, right? How many of you went camping at some point? And maybe you camped three or four days and you got back and took a shower and it was just like, ah, like, I can't believe, like, that felt so good. Anybody remember that feeling of like, oh yeah. So imagine you spend your life camping and you're like a shower and a meal and play some games and talk to people that are kind to you and something beautiful happens. And there's something about serving together. If you go on that Mexico City trip, the last night we throw a party in one of the prostitution districts and we just go invite women and girls that are working the streets and we feed them and we talk to them. And some of us will literally, the women will sit and do their nails and uh, do a pedicure for them. And people wonder like, why are you doing their toe? Because it's a way to touch in a healthy way and connect. And and you come home after you've done a pedicure for a girl that was sold into sex trafficking and you help invite her into a better life and your perspective on life is just different. It just won't be the same. You won't come home and think, I just love all these things. In fact, I'm gonna keep my old phones and not give them to Pastor Chris to share because I want the old ones too, right? Because they're awesome. I'm not using them, but they're awesome. I need them in my nightstand. Some of you that wouldn't even acknowledge, like, I know, I know who you are. Instead, right, this beautiful thing happens. Where like, I serve with people and you start to love people that you serve with in a way that you just don't anybody else. Brene says it this way. She says, when two people relate to each other authentically and humanly, God is the electricity that surges between them. Just this authentic thing about sharing and serving James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. He says, real, true religion from God the Father's perspective is about being a part of a certain political party. No, he doesn't say that, right? <laughs> he says, it's about upholding the highest moral standards. No. He says, it's about caring for the orphans and the widows who suffered needlessly and resisting the evil influence of the world. Listen, you're going to mess up a lot of stuff. I'm going to mess up a lot of stuff. But if we devote our lives to caring for people in greatest need, if we wake up each day and say, I can't stop a war in Ukraine, but I can be a part of a church. I can automate my giving so that I'm a part every week of the thousand loaves of bread that go out to the Ukraine every week. I'm a part of it. And I got to tell you, Ecclesia, I watch the news differently than my friends that aren't a part of that. I didn't solve it, I can't stop it, but I'm trying my best to make sure people are not dying of starvation. I'm trying my best to let them know that we see them. And all across the globe, you're gonna hear more about it this fall, but I gotta tell you, being a part of a church that serves and cares for people is a gift to us all, and it helps us live the life we were made to live. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.